0: Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, Happy Father's Day to you guys that are fathers or you guys that mentor other kids that uh, just make a difference for Jesus in their lives. Um, We had a really important topic to talk about this morning, but I want to address some of you know I'm going to take a little bit of a sabbatical. And I've had some interesting questions this week, so I just want to address them quick. First of all, why I'm taking my sabbatical ahead of Steve. Uh, basically because he wants to go next summer so uh, we went back and forth over this and so he said no you need to go this time and then I'll go next summer so that's why he is going next summer my physical health other than the cold that I'm fighting right now is great two weeks ago I took a 60-mile bike ride and, and in a couple weeks I'll be on the Appalachian Trail and hope to get about 24 miles in on that so I'm taking good care of my health Mentally, I'm as stable as I have ever been, you know, I don't know what to think about that, you know, so emotionally, I'm healthy, I am ready to get unplugged, um, sabbaticals don't help your IQ, so don't get your help up there, and, um, you know, I am, uh, you know, I think as the church has adopted this, we've, we've had help from other churches, and the getting unplugged part is the hard part, because I, I love my church family here, and I'm plugged into so many of your lives and, uh, but I understand the need to step away. And uh, so my email is going to be unhooked. Uh, they're looking at what to do with my cell phone. We don't know what's going to happen on that. But it's a win-win situation. The minister has a chance to actually get away, to refresh, to really reflect on spiritual issues and and hopefully to come back. The win part for the church is that you get a minister back to should be raring and ready to go. And for those eight weeks that I'm going to be going, I, I'm going to miss you guys tremendously. Um, and... Uh, you know, when I get back, I'm going to hit it hard. Um, somebody asked, what, what what happens if we see you? You know, I don't want to come back and like your head's all bandaged up because you had your head in the ice cream aisle at Kroger's because you saw me and stuck it in there and got frostbite or something, you know. I mean, just, it's common sense. I always take a high and a hug. I, it's just, we're to unplug with, from the issues right now and to focus in on On just positive times. Um, And lastly, we talked real quick, Keith mentioned last week about the the burnout rate, the depression rate, that type of thing in the ministry. Because it can be a tough uh, profession, but uh, at this church, I can say that the ministers here, we love our jobs. And um, we have a great church family. You guys are one of the most loving church families in the whole world. And uh, we've got a great group of elders, and uh, they can't be more supportive. And so... For you guys in particular, I love to see young people go into the ministry. I think it's a great, uh, a great uh, profession, and so I would encourage you to to consider it. And um, so, with that said, I mean, I'm I'm going to be rearing and ready to get back when the time comes. I'm still working right up till July 2nd. We've got a convention next week, and then I have to camp the week after that. So, all right. So, enough about that. Um, let's talk about the passage this morning. Uh, it's found in Luke 6, uh, 27 through 36. Dr. Lewis Foster, a beloved professor and a really knowledgeable guy down at Cincinnati Christian University, wrote of this passage today. He said, of all of the commands of Jesus, this is the most extraordinary, the most contrary to the inclination of the world, the hardest to justify logically. The only way it becomes reasonable is to use God as our starting point. His love and mercy and unselfishness as our compass. Of all the things that Jesus taught, this one will cut us the most deeply. And when you hear that, you know, you think it's kind of like surgery. And the, and the bigger the surgery have, you have brain surgery or heart surgery, the bigger the surgery, the bigger the pre-op time. Because they need to prepare your body so that the surgery will be successful. They will take away all food. They will make sure you don't even have an ice chip, which I've never understood why. One tiny little ice chip is such a big deal. But they won't even let you have that. They clear your body out of everything. They're doing all these tests. And the whole gist of it is to get your body ready to have a successful surgery. And so this morning, I want to kind of do some passages first. We'll call them pre-op passages to prepare us then, prepare our hearts and minds for this surgery passage that Jesus is going to give us. The first of these is Matthew thirty six thirty three. It says, be, but first seek, first seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. When we get up in the morning and throughout the day, in our mindset, we should be thinking kingdom thoughts. What are we doing to love people and to further the kingdom of Jesus? Romans 15, 5 and 6 says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. We are supposed to have the same attitudes, that same mindset that Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify your heavenly Father. In other words, by having the mindset of Jesus, then we bring glory to our heavenly Father. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ we are called to not only follow the apostles example but to follow Jesus of course because that's who they're following so we are having Jesus mindset we are having kingdom thoughts and we are following Christ's example and then in Colossians 3 1 2 it says since then you have been raised with Christ set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God we're thinking about not right here but we're looking at Jesus seated in heaven Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. Now, this is really important in any time when we're talking about biblical principles, but particularly on this one. Maybe it's because I'm a little extra sensitive to this because I'm the family life minister. I kind of study families. But one of the things I've noticed is that 18 years that you are in your home has huge impact on how you handle issues. You may have been removed from your home 30 or 40 years, but what you were taught during the first 18 years can really impact how you deal with things. And in this particular case, if your mom and dad walked with Jesus, they were Jesus, they were about as close to Jesus as possible, then when you hear about loving your enemies, you're like, I saw my mom and dad do this. You know, it's not a big issue. But you may have come out of the exact opposite type of home, where the only time you heard about Jesus was when his name was used in vain, where you had ways that your family dealt with enemies, how your family took care of things, what you were taught. And that's why it's so important when we approach this as if we're Christians, we got to go, wait a minute, I have to flush everything that I was taught. The only father that will matter in this particular case is my heavenly father, unless if I was taught a really godly example of how to deal with this. So we prepare our hearts and minds with this to walk into this passage. So let's get into it. Luke 6, 27 through 36. It's often titled in a lot of your Bibles as love for enemies. Verse 27, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. You know, there's a lot of persecution going on in the church right now, and it's starting to increase in the United States. It's going on all around the world, and uh, we saw that definitely in Charleston this week. But this is something pe- Christians need to keep in mind we need to expect hatred and persecution. Just a few verses earlier in Luke six twenty two, Jesus said, "Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you, and when reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man." As Christians, we should feel blessed when we are hated, excluded, insulted, and rejected because of Jesus. Well, that's a happy thought, isn't it? Jesus assumed that anyone who lived for eternal values, this is what one commentator wrote. Anybody Jesus assumed that anybody who lived for eternal values would get into trouble with the world's crowd. Christians are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That's said in Matthew five Matthew five. And sometimes salt stings and light exposes sin. And then sinners then show their hatred by avoiding us or rejecting us, insulting us, cussing us out, physically abusing us, suing us, you name it. So as we go into this, we have to understand we will have enemies. And if everybody likes you, then maybe that's a thing where you have to stop and go, am I really standing up for what I truly supposed to believe? Now at the same time, we see four commands in this particular part here, what we're supposed to do. First off, it says we're supposed to love our enemies, then do good to them. We're to bless and we're to pray. This love that we're called to do here is agape love. It is love that is shown to people. It is, a de- is just a decision of the will. You are loving because Jesus loved you. That has nothing to do with whether the person that you're loving deserves it. So they very well may not deserve your love whatsoever, but you decide to love them. And that's what this is called. Love your enemies regardless of whether they deserve it or not. And Jesus can call us to do that because we were showing agape love. We were showing undeserved love and mercy. Then this also involves doing good. The love that we show causes us to do good to our enemies. Professor Mark Black writes, The command to love... Is a command to act for the good of others. And this is good news here. Not a demand to feel affection for them. So we don't have to have the warm and fuzzies towards our enemies. We just have to make a decision to love them and to do good to them. But we don't have to have a warm affectionate feeling. That that may be beyond our, our ability. Then it says we are to bless. And not only is this to have... Try to have the best positive thoughts you can towards our enemies, but specifically, it's talking about the words that come out of our mouth. We're not to lie. We're not to slander our enemies. And probably the easiest way to sum this up is if you start to say something about somebody who is your enemy, you can ask this well worn thing Is it right? I mean, is it true? Is it kind? And is it necessary? Is it kind? is it true and is it necessary and if those are the only words that you say then you more than likely are blessing people and then the last thing is you pray for them. you pray for wisdom on how you can deal with the issue you ask that ask the Lord to soften your heart towards them and for them to soften their heart towards you and you just lift them up a lot of times when you're really angry with somebody The more you start praying with them, it's amazing how fast your anger will dissipate because all of a sudden you start to realize how much mercy you've been shown. Now in verse 29 it says, If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. I mean, that's really hard in today's l- language. So it's like for you guys, if there's some kid that comes up every day in school and says, hey, I'm taking your lunch money, are you supposed to go, no problem, you know, we're going to be in school together for what, about 13 years, and so you have my lunch money every day because I'm a Christian. That doesn't make any sense. If you work really hard and you loan money to somebody and they go use it for drugs, or you just say, hey, that's just totally fine with that. If you get home and somebody's robbing your house and they're walking out with your TV, you go, oh, that's the old TV. The good one's in the basement. You know, I'll go get it. you got to use common sense here. The principle here is that, one, we don't retaliate. But second is that we love people. You will not help the bully by every day just turning your money over to him. But your family can come around that child maybe and try to figure out a way to help them. Or you can try to figure out how that you can love on that person again. This is where you get into where you are praying about it and you are seeking mature, godly counsel. It doesn't pay to loan the same person money over and over again if they are not fiscally responsible. But maybe you say, you know, I'm not going to do that anymore. I don't think that's good for you, but it will help you get into Dave Ramsey class. I will come alongside of you in this other way. But ultimately, love is the ultimate reason that you're being driven to help them. You're moving them towards Jesus. Then we get to verse 32. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. This can all be summed up really quickly. What Jesus is saying here is if you're kind to people who love you or who kind back to you, don't slap yourself on the back. Even sinners do that. This, again, is calling us to a love that says, irregardless of how I'm taught, how I'm treated, I will love somebody and expect nothing back. And then Jesus says something that's very good, and he says, then your reward will be great. In other words, when we treat people the way he asks us to treat people, our reward will be great, and we will be children of the Most High. And sometimes we forget about that, it's so easier. Like I was humiliated and now I'm out this or that, or why didn't I do that? Or I'm just so angry at that person. Why couldn't I have just retaliated? And again, we need to be having thoughts that are kingdom oriented, heavenward. As we are doing what Jesus calls us to do here on earth, we are laying up our treasures in heaven. Our reward will come later. And then he gives us the big because and this is really critical if you miss this you have missed the whole message he says you are to do these things because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked who are the who ungrateful who are who are the ungrateful and the wicked that's a question you can answer who are the ungrateful, and the wicked, us. See, we can extend kindness to our enemies because before we become a Christian, we are in an enmity position with God. We're in rebellion against Him. While He loves us and wants us to come to Him, we're in an enmity position with Him. And He shows us kindness. He still shows us kindness when we're ungrateful and do wrong things after we become Christians. And then in verse 36, it says, be merciful just as your father is merciful. In other words, just as he showed you mercy, you need to be merciful. Now, coupled in with all this is just a few comments on forgiveness. Sometimes it's very hard to forgive our enemies. Sometimes you may like, man, that guy's just a knucklehead and you know, there's nothing I can do. He, he irritates everybody and makes everybody's life miserable. And you can kind of move on quickly and you're just trying to figure out how to deal with the situation. But then there are others I know in this room where you struggle deeply with the hurt that has been put on you by a parent or an aunt or uncle or a child. Um, someone in your business dealings, uh, the list can go on and on, and for that, forgiveness, if it's not dealt with, can lead to bitterness, and bitterness in the Bible is a sin. Jesus calls us to forgive, in fact, in Matthew six fourteen and 15, I'll sum it up, he said, if you forgive those who sin against you, you'll be forgiven, and if you don't, you won't be forgiven, and that's a pretty tough verse. So we have to really deal with this forgiveness issue. We have to understand what it is and what it isn't. Again, forgiveness is not saying, hey, what you did was okay. It's saying that, hey, what you did wasn't right, but I'm going to release you. I'm turning this over to my heavenly Father. He will deal with you. I am going to move on. Sometimes the person that you release, the person you re- forgive, will not even know that you forgave them. They may not even know that they are your enemy, and they may never even care that you forgave them. But then there are other people that you truly do need to forgive. They need that from you. Jesus set the ultimate example on the cross in Luke. When he looked down, the soldiers had driven nails into his hands and feet. They were now gambling for his clothes, casting lots. And he looked down on them and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This um, Charleston shooting thing is just, uh, you know, what do you do? I mean, our hearts are broken. And uh, sadly, uh, this tragedy uh, fits in too well with this sermon this morning. Um, if you saw the opera, you saw the video of where the uh, families uh, were able to respond to the shooter, um, wow. Uh, Christians just uh, living out Jesus. And it's not going to be a one-time thing. It's going to affect their families forever. And out of all of them, uh, I think the one that stuck out to me was Nadine Callier. She is the daughter of uh, Ethel Lance. And she may have summed it up best. She said, I forgive you. You took something very precious away from me. I will never get to talk to her ever again. I will never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you and have mercy on you, and I have mercy on your soul. And she goes on to say, you hurt me. You hurt a lot of people. See, she's forgiving, but she's not letting him off the hook as far as saying what you did was okay. People make that mistake. But she forgave. And then she goes on to say, if God forgives, I will forgive you. This young man, if he ever accepts Jesus as his personal Savior, will be in heaven with us. So who is your enemy? Um, you know, man, kids at school. School's hard, man. You, you guys have some enemies at school? Anybody have enemies at school? Come on, raise your hand. Be honest. I mean, if you, or are you the bu- If you're the bully at school, raise your hand. <laughs> All right? Maybe it's an old friend. I, I, I'm really convinced that oftentimes our enemies are people that we know really well. They may have been a very old and dear friend that basically we had a major falling out with. It may be an antagonist, somebody who just loves to get under your skin. It may be a coworker that you uh, shared stuff with. You guys worked together. You put a lot of hard work into it. They claimed the credit. They're moving up the ladder off of your hard work, and you have to see them now every day ahead of you. the enemy in your home may be the person that you sleep with. It may be a family member. It may be somebody in this congregation. Um, Going back to the marriage thing, um, you know, spouses, this pertains as much in the home as it does outside the home. So I just want to... Again, as we're dealing with these people, what we're looking to do is we're looking to to love people regardless of what they've done to us. We're making a conscious decision to love like Christ loved us. We're going to do good to them. We are going to bless people by only saying things that are true, necessary, and kind. We are going to pray for them. We're going to embrace the process of forgiveness, which is really hard and can last a long time. We're not going to retaliate. And again, we're going to love expecting nothing in return. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, um, you know, just really find this passage so challenging. You know, I mean, we can justify our actions so easily um, we see horrible examples every day of, of how this is just the opposite of this occurs. You know, um, we tend to even look up to people who are in sports and those kind of things that actually just embody exactly what you uh, don't like. And so I would just pray as a church family that especially this morning, that we will go home from here and we're gonna like, how do I really think about dealing with my enemies? And what do I need to do today? Lay, lay the names and the faces on our heart of people that we may not even have thought about for a long time, but maybe they are our enemies and we need to do right by them. Help us to show the mercy that you've shown us. And um so again, we just, we just thank you for this mercy that you showed us. We sure didn't do anything to deserve it, and um, you're just such a gracious God, and it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. We talked a little bit ago about before you become a Christian, you are in an enmity position. You are in a position of rebellion, and, um, but after you become a Christian, one of the verses that I love the most in the Bible is it says, you are a friend of God. I love that. I love being a friend of God, that he looks at me and says, hey, you're my friend. And if that is your position and you're like, I, I, I believe in Jesus and I'm willing to make him my Lord and you are willing to confess him and you meet him in Christian baptism and have your sins washed away, you can walk out of here and go, I'm a friend of Jesus. What a blessing that is. And so as the worship team sings right now, I would just encourage you, if that's on your heart, that you would just come forward right now. stand and sing.